0: You're awake now, so good. Hey, we want to thank all of you for being here this morning. We know that it's Easter morning. We know that there's a thousand other things you could be doing. You could be at brunch right now. And I I apologize for bringing that up because now it's all you're thinking of. But we're so excited that you're here. And we're excited for all of you families that were able to make it out this morning. We want to rejoice with you of of the possibility of bringing families together this morning. And, And so, so many of you have been able to do that. And we really are excited to have you with us today. This morning, I want to do three things. I want to answer three questions. Uh, This is something that's been on my mind a lot over the last several years, and so I want to answer these three questions. First, did Jesus die? And you're at church, so you should probably know the answer to that, but we're going to go over it a little bit. Second, if so, did Jesus rise again? This really, really matters. And then the third question, if so, and the answer to the first two is yes, just so you know, but we're getting there. If so, why does it matter? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's where we're going. Question number one Did Jesus die? Popular theory over the years has been that Jesus, when pulled off the cross, was really alive. Yeah, that's a popular theory. He was just unconscious. It's explored in this uh, popular movie that's come out lately, The Case for Christ, came out a couple weeks ago. It's explored in the book as well, so that's the only plug you're going to hear for that today. But the idea goes that if Christ was not really dead, then there is no possibility of resurrection, then you don't have to deal with miracles, all of that stuff. The problem, of course, with that theory is simple. Christ was dead. Yeah, I know, it's, it's fairly simple. The problem is that Christ was dead. Think of what he went through, and this is just John 19. This is John 19's uh, idea of what Jesus went through. He was flogged, which means that he was beaten very severely. They placed on his head a crown of thorns, which of course is an awful thing to have on your head. They struck him on the face. They made him carry the cross alone until the weight of the cross was too much for him to carry, They crucified him, nailing his hands to the side of the cross, making him pull up for every breath that he took and fall down every time he had to exhale. Finally, they pierced his side from which water and blood flowed down together. People cannot live through that. Christ died. In 1996... I encountered death for the first time. My grandpa, Albert Wilson, who below you can see, we always called him Papa Daisy. That was was not a name he chose for himself. Uh, (laughs) That's what we called him. I encountered death for the first time. He went into surgery one day to have a knee replacement and died on the operating table because of a blood clot. My great-grandmother, Ima Jean Davis, lived for another 17 years after his passing. And I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with her. It was, it, was our, uh, it was our weekly family idea to go out to her house. She had a farm. They had a farm together. To go out to her house on Sunday afternoon after rest time and spend a couple of hours. During that time, we would talk to her about what it was like living without Papa Daisy. She would say that sometimes she would talk to him as if he was right there with her. Sometimes she would be working in the kitchen and she would think that she heard his pickup coming in the drive. But it was just her mind playing tricks on her because she knows what we all know deep within our being. Dead people stay dead. And that's a really harsh way to put it, but we know that, right? So it leads us to question number two. Did Jesus rise again? If Jesus was really dead, did he rise again? Resurrection stories are interesting. If you've read the four Gospels, they have different details, they have different things that they see, but they all have the same conclusion. Jesus rose from the dead. But there's a problem with these in ancient literature that we kind of have to deal with immediately. The resurrection stories are founded on the testimony of women, which in that culture was deemed not trustworthy. So, Luke 24, verses 5 through 11. Why do you look for the living among the dead? This is an angel talking to these women. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, and then he quotes what he told them. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Immediately you have the testimony of these women that Jesus rose from the grave, that Jesus is alive, and the immediate reaction is, no way, that can't be the case. Let me ask you this. Why would all four of the Gospels include that part if Jesus had not risen from the dead? Just follow the logic of this for a moment. Why would you base the truth of this already doubtful story, because everybody knows dead people stay dead, why would you trust the truth, or base the truth of this already doubtful story on a witness that is not deemed trustworthy unless you are sure that the witness was right? The inclusion of this element is a way of saying, we can't quite explain what happened. But these women told us this, and we found it to be true. One theory, again, that's had some traction is that Mary or the women mistook Jesus for Jesus' brother, James. James becomes really important in this New Testament church. And and the problem with that becomes, you kind of know who you've been following. You know the person. There are multiple encounters, not just with the women, but to base this on them is is difficult unless it's true. More likely scenario than these women having a false testimony is the most shocking one. It's that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Maybe we should consider how the disciples knew this. Did they really believe this? Another idea has been maybe the disciples were just going around saying something that they wished was true. Maybe this is just some wish fulfillment thing. Maybe it's just a fanciful idea. But again, the truest measure of faith is not what they say, not what they write, but what they did. Do you know what happened to all 11 apostles of Jesus? Judas, of course, is taken off the list for a moment, but do you remember what happened to the other 11? This is gruesome. All 11 apostles end up giving their life for Jesus in some very similar ways to Jesus. Peter is crucified upside down, Andrew is crucified, Thomas is pierced with six spears. Philip is crucified, Bartholomew is the worst case, and I'm not even going to point to what happened to him. You can look that up on Google later. All of these apostles follow through to the extent that they give their lives for this message. And why would you give your life for a message that you do not believe is true? Christ died, Christ rose again. If the resurrection of Jesus is a lie that these apostles perpetrated, why would they die like that? We'd have to explain for why, over the past 2,000 years, the church has met on the first day of the week, every week. It's not because we've reappropriated Sabbath as if that's something that we have the authority to do, but it's because something miraculous Something unexplainable, something unexpected, something wonderfully divine happened on that first day of the week. When the tomb was empty, when angels appeared, when Jesus was seen and touched and ate with the apostles, something happened. It wasn't a mass hallucination, Jesus wasn't a ghost, although his body was certainly transformed. It was not a saying that changed over time from he will rise again to he rose again. No, the the, the point is simple. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And we have to believe that. I think we can get there. I think we can get to the place where that's important and that's true. But then the question becomes, why does it matter? And church, this is why I'm excited that we're together this morning to celebrate this. There are two things that I want you to hear, and I want you to hear them well. First, death was defeated. And that sounds strange because we all expect to die. That sounds strange because we still experience death. But the point is this. Nobody was expecting Jesus to be resurrected Dead people stay dead, but Jesus abolished death. 2 Timothy 1 verse 10 says, Our Savior Jesus Christ abolished death and brought life. Isn't that good news? Romans 8 verse 11 makes this point. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Do you know what Paul's saying there? This is, this is really important. What God did for Jesus, God will do for you. And that matters. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, or That's an important passage. Apparently, I wrote that down on here and didn't actually write the verse down, so that's good. Romans 8, verses 19 through 21 points out that what God is going to do for us, what God has done for Jesus, God will do for all of creation as well. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. Creation itself will be set free. What God has started in Christ Jesus, this first fruits of what's going to happen, will happen for all of us. Church, death has been defeated, and that is good news. That is good news. Second thing is this. This is the one that Patrick started talking about last week. It's one, if you haven't heard that sermon, by the way, and I don't don't plug Patrick's sermons all that often, so, but this one. (laughs) This sermon last week had my mind thinking all week long. Had my mind racing. Like, what was God doing? What was Jesus doing? And and I think part of the point was this. The kingdom that Jesus went around preaching about all the time, the kingdom of God has come. And it is here. And it's not waiting for something great to happen. The kingdom of God is now. N.T. Wright, the the guy that sparked my imagination about resurrection ten years ago, he wrote this, The resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom has really been launched on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the expectation is that because we are part of this kingdom, it will it's not because something we wait for. It's something that we get to be. This kingdom that Jesus established, God's new world, that is promised throughout Scripture is breaking through now by the power of the Holy Spirit that is still, within, is still at work within us today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is reaching people in the world by the power of God. And you know that. You see that. You see people coming to know God. Not coming to know about God, but really deeply coming to know God. We have friends that overcome addictions by the power of God. The things that have held them down, the things that have held them away from God are being stripped and thrown aside because God's kingdom is here. Marriages and families are reconciling by the power of God to where God is at work and God is doing something big. Homeless people are being housed. Hungry people are being fed. Lonely people are gaining friends. Sick people are being healed. Naked people are being clothed. What is broken is being made beautiful by the power of God because the kingdom of God is here, now, It's not something we're waiting for. It's something that we're already experiencing. And church, this is why it matters to us. This is the point. We're not just onlookers of this kingdom. We're not people sitting outside saying, oh, isn't that nice? We're not just recipients of the kingdom. We're not just citizens of the kingdom. We are actually ambassadors of this kingdom of God. Again, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The very power that brought Jesus from the grave is alive and at work within you right now. Right. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 says, so we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We're not people on the sidelines We're not people waiting to see what's going to happen. We are the instruments that God is using to bring his kingdom now. As an ambassador of God, I challenge you, go adopt a child today. I know that won't work, but you get the picture. As an ambassador of God, go to Peru or Honduras and preach the gospel. Bring people to Christ As an ambassador of God, go stand alongside the marginalized in Minneapolis or St. Paul or wherever you live, because the Spirit of God is at work within us. As an ambassador of God, go into the prisons and offer a better way, offer healing and mercy and reconciliation. As an ambassador of God, go to the nursing homes and show these people the love of God in the last moments of their lives. As an ambassador of God, go get to know your neighbors. As an ambassador of God, go sell your car and take public transit into town. I know that that's rich coming from a guy who bought a car this past two weeks, so I get it. But as an ambassador of God, don't hold back what God is calling us to give. As an ambassador of God, go volunteer at the women's shelter and provide safety for someone who's been abused. As an ambassador of God, go make peace with those who have wronged you. And certainly go make peace with those you have wronged. As an ambassador of God, go stand up against tyranny and oppression. As an ambassador of God, go be a friend to someone who doesn't have one. As an ambassador of God, with the Spirit of God living within you, I challenge you to go. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus, rising from the dead, started something that will never end until God is all in all. And that time's not yet, and so we've got work to do. We've got to go be ambassadors. As an ambassador of God, go. Church, I want you to hear the gospel this morning. Here it is. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has be- begun redeeming the world, and we, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, who dwells within us, are called to go be ambassadors for the King. Church, go—it's what we're called to do. I'm going to hand it over to Travis, and then we'll be closed.